journeyers. We gather again, we meet again, and I am so thankful for the opportunity that we have to gather virtually wherever you find yourself today, that you are not beyond God's reach, and we are praying his blessing to meet you right where you are, across the nation, around the world, right there in the comfort of your own home right now. And I hope that today you will find a Bible, Revelation chapter 4 through 6, but in particular chapter 6. Today we are continuing our series, second message in the series, The Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. And uh, before I do that, why, this is a great time for us just to remind ourselves, nothing is too hard for God. Would you say that with me? Wherever you are, all together, take a breath. Nothing is too hard for God. One more time. Nothing is too hard for God. Now, why teach from the four horsemen of the apocalypse now? I've been asked. And some asking are excited, some are curious, others are a little hesitant. Uh, some avoid revelation entirely, while others can't seem to get enough. I mean, they've got the TV set on, they're listening for their preacher to match headline news to Bible chapter and verse. But if you've ever tried to read the Revelation, the book can seem weird, um, hard to understand. It's full of symbolic images that are very strange to what we would call normal ways of thinking. It's written in uh, apocalyptic style, which means it uses images. And then it refers to events mentioned in some 10 other Old Testament books, all four Gospels, and then uh, the writings of Paul as well. You can read it in about an hour and a half if you sit down with it, but it assumes and requires a serious level of Bible knowledge on your part, like keys on your key ring that you can use to unlock its mysteries. So the Bible we've recommended for other studies is especially appropriate here as well. The uh, Life Application Study Bible, it's a solid, trustworthy resource. I would recommend it to you uh, for its excellent notes. And if you're interested in a copy of the Revelation, you can contact our groups pastor at groups at Christjourney.org, and he's got some materials available that you can find there. Um, but if you are wondering, in a time of chaos, confusion, and controversy, why add more? Well, hopefully we won't be adding more. We'll actually be clarifying some of that. And that's a reason in answer to the question, why now? I got a few more reasons. You know, people are asking. And this is appropriate for our day. It applies to our day. And it was written for times just like ours. And maybe you didn't know this. But it promises blessing to every reader. There are 66 books in our Bible, and the book of Revelation is the only one that promises blessing to its reader. So I would like for you to read with me the text that you're going to find that we open up right now. Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Would you read it with me? Blessed is the one who reads the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. May God's blessing find you in this reading. But the reason motivating me most is I believe I had a leading from God 
to spend some time with the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Well, why not the whole book? Well, I'm telling you why. Because I had a prompting to spend some time with the four horsemen. And I believe God is giving me perspective to be heard. Now, it may not sound like others you've heard, and it, uh, it may not be what you're expecting, but I believe that you will find understanding and it will give you hope and an opportunity to get closer to God and fulfill his will, even in a time of quarantine, especially in a time of quarantine. Just because we are shut in does not mean that we are shut down. God is at work. God's kingdom is on the move. And the God who opens a door that no man can shut is uh, available to visit with us, even when the full brunt of sin and its consequences are released into our world. That's what this speaks to. The four horsemen speak to that. Now, Revelation 6 shows the four living creatures we meet in chapter 4, calling out each of the four horsemen in sequence. So, heads up, I'm about to open up a fire hydrant uh, of information to explain a whole lot in a few words about the symbolism of Revelation 4 and 5. Now, I think it's awesomely cool, I think it's deep, but it could feel like too much on your end. So I'm just giving you a heads up. I'm not holding back. I'm going to bring the whole load, uh, but you need to be ready. You ready? Okay, these living creatures are incredible to imagine. Revelation 4, verse 6. Around the throne were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes, front and back. The first was like a lion, the second, like an ox. The third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four had six wings and, uh, and was covered with eyes all around. Now, is that weird? What is that? That is powerful symbolism. These are not real animals. They are symbols that represent the transcendent qualities of God. Each ruler in its realm. Lion, ox, human, flying, eagle. Each an expression of God's creator power, God's creation. Wild, tame, human, and flying. Covered with eyes, all-seeing. Covered with wings, ever moving. Able to be present in every direction. What does that mean? Nothing is beyond God's sight. Nothing is beyond God's reach. These are symbols of God's being. God is bigger than the throne, in other words. And he extends his rule through his living creation. In chapter 5, then, we see the expression of God's being on the throne and here as the one worthy to open the scroll. Verse 5, the lion of the tribe of Judah, David's line, God's son is who it's speaking of. But the lion who is the lamb, this is verse 6, the lamb with seven horns, that means perfect in power, seven the number of perfection, seven eyes, perfect in vision. 
And this lamb is now on the throne looking as if it had been slain. Think of that. The throne of God has a slain lamb on it. God's lion's strength now seen in the blood sacrifice of a lamb. This lamb is not weak, but fully empowered by seven spirits, the number of perfection, the symbol of the full measure of the perfect measure of Holy Spirit perfection. And then surrounded by 24 elders. These are symbols of how God has revealed God's self through history. The 12 tribes of Old Testament Israel. The 12 apostles of New Testament Israel. Symbols. The church. Now why does that matter? Well, here's what I think. The presence of God revealed through the people of God in history now speaks from the throne of God through the voices of the living creatures. Why does that matter? To announce the four horsemen, meaning what? Okay, now, if you were lost in all of that, here's the bottom line. Hold on to this. All It means that all the terror and the adversity the horses represent is still subject to the command of God's throne. No matter how desperate times become, God is still on the throne. No matter how desperate times become, God is still on the throne. This is like the hymn says, this is my father's world. Oh, may I never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. The book of Revelation is deep mystery, but at the heart of that mystery is a sacrifice lamb unveiling truth. The word apocalypse means the unveiling. The slain lamb is singularly qualified now, according to John's vision, to show how the world has gone wrong. To open the seals and introduce the four horsemen. This is the first of three series of unveilings in the book. The seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. All three of these series are similar, but increasing in intensity. As prophet Hosea said one time, they have sown the wind, but they have reaped the whirlwind. Hosea 8, 7. Well, this first series begins with the four horsemen, symbols of the idolatries, the false gods that human beings give themselves to, and then the damage that we inflict on each other in conquest, in violence, in oppression, and in death. In his wisdom, Solomon warned once, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is death. Proverbs 14, 12. These first three horses show us some of the ways that seem right to men. There's power and supremacy. There's blood for blood, violence. There's economic imbalance and oppression. But these three horses all precursor to the fourth horse. They lead to death. The white horse we saw last time represents the idolatry of power. The spirit of conquest, the desire to dominate 
and control. And we see this not only in the clash of nations, but also in egos, in family, in business, in human relating. And then every, when we clamor to be crowned king of the mountain and are willing to climb all over people to get there, that's what it's talking about, to get our way. And by the way, Antichrist is full of that. The Antichrist is full of that, so full of self that there's no room for God. Second horse, red, the color red, the color of blood. Chapter 6, verse 4, its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. Now, war, violence, and bloodshed have always been a part of human history, but recent history is very telling. The 20th century began with World War I, called the War to End War, to end all wars. Now, that war ended in 1918, but the century that followed was the bloodiest in history yet. Military conflict took place every year of the 20th century, with an estimated 187 million dead in its wake worldwide. During the same century, more Christians have died for their faith than in all previous 1900 centuries combined. The Center for the Study of Global Christianity from Gordon Conwell Seminary says that 900,000 Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last 10 years, equating to 90,000 people a year. That is one every six minutes, the red horse. Violence, bloodshed. But violence doesn't only happen on a national and an international scale. It happens domestically as well. Did you know, on average, in America, in the United States, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner? 20 a minute, every 60 seconds. 10 million people a year, men and women, abused. And if I told you the numbers on child abuse or sexual abuse, our heads would start swimming, but our hearts would be breaking because we know that behind every number is a person, is a story, is a life, is a marriage, is a family. And in an age where people speak of weaponizing words, verbal and emotional abuse are like fuses lit that explode, destroying lives and homes and futures. Wellspring, the counseling group that we partner with in our ministry, hosts camps called bounce camps through which they seek to provide tools so people can recover from trauma. Does trauma and abuse take peace from the earth? Does abortion? Another category that seems to fit the red horse is payback. I mean, what could possibly make men slay each other with justification? I'm thinking the idolatry of payback. Blood for blood. Now, you know when... When God told Moses to institute eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, he did it to limit 
revenge, to limit payback. But you know what happened? It was twisted to now demand payback. Justice is what we call it. You know, it, after all, it feels so right. You know, it feels like it, to, to, to get a pound of flesh when you've been injured or hurt, it feels like this is only right. We say, I just want what's right. I just want what's fair. Have you ever noticed how much of today's entertainment has revenge as the plot line? Just check that out for yourself sometime. Just getting even, settling the score, equalizing things, retaliation, retribution. And you know what they say, hurt people hurt people. So when we feel injured, cheated, betrayed, robbed, of a loved one, of a life, of something precious to us, we feel justified when we want payback. And when it happens, something inside us says, they had it coming, right? Jesus said this, Matthew 24, verse 12, talks to you in the last days. In the time of the end, lawlessness will prevail. It'll be a time of anarchy, of people taking the law into their own hands. Because of the increase of wickedness, which is also translated lawlessness, the love of most will grow cold. Paul said people will be proud. The last days will be terrible days. They'll be arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, verbally abusive. And without self-control, look at the last word, brutal. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Does that sound like the red horse to you? Jesus said, as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. So you know what I did? I looked up in the book of Genesis what was going on in the world at the time of Noah. Genesis chapter 6 verse 11 says this, in the days of Noah, the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Now we, you know, somebody may be thinking, come on, Bill. I mean, you're being so negative. There's lots of good things that have happened too. You know what? I'm not debating that. I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm simply telling you, remember what my purpose in the series is, is to explain what the four horsemen mean. And this is the red horse about violence and bloodshed, which gets us to this question. If that's our now, maybe you disagree with me, but if that's our now in real time, we're living in a make-you-pay, bloodletting world, then what's our how? How are we to make our way through a killer world until we see Jesus? Now, some may be wondering, what kind of question is that? I mean, Bill, the rapture's gonna take us out before that even gets to us, isn't it? Okay, wait a minute, I'm not arguing that point either. This is not, uh, what I'm asking is, what does, how does God want us to live until we see Jesus right now? With the violence and the lawlessness and the bloodshed that we see in our world right now. People are dying right now. Lives are in the balance right now. Families are on the brink right now. 
So what does Jesus want his followers doing until he comes? Like counting the days until the rapture? Or how about this? Because this is what Jesus says when he talked about the last days. First, watch and pray. Would you say that with me? Here we go. Watch and pray. That means live with your eyes open and you'll see to get out of harm's way. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. This is Jesus. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that's about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Now I'm pulling three truths out of that. The first one is this. Be alert. Live with your eyes wide open. Not in denial, not asleep at the wheel, not, but be ready. Be ready, be alert, and be wise. Jesus says, pray to escape all that's about to happen. That means get out of harm's way. Don't be foolish. Be wise as serpents, Matthew 10, 16. Now, I don't know what all that means, but I'm thinking, serpents that I have known do their best to stay alive and not get stepped on. They see me coming, and man, do they get out of there, right? Is that what Jesus is saying there? That do your best. Use your head to stay alive and not get stepped on. Now, as a pastor, may I say to you, if you are living with the threat of violence or abuse, wisdom says, don't stay there, right? Get out and get to a safe place. There is no verse in the Bible that says God wants a child or a spouse to stay in a situation where their lives are threatened. Just because a red horse is rising up doesn't mean that you have to get trampled underfoot. Jesus says, escape to stand before the Son of Man. So now we're talking be safe. I said there were three things that came out of that for me. The third one is be safe. Be alert, be wise, be safe in God, in Christ. Now, how do you get that? Well, I, I believe it's through sharing your prayer need. It's also through letting somebody else help you. We need each other and to find a safe place in Christ for spiritual healing, which brings us to the, the second application. Wait in the Lord. Would you say that with me? Wait in the Lord. Now, we've all heard of waiting on the Lord. You know what John shows us? Is uh, believers waiting in the Lord. Look at the fifth seal. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? You ever ask God, how long, Lord? And I have. <laughs> how long am I going to have to wait? But notice where they are sharing the pain of their hearts from. Where are they? Under the altar. Now John hasn't mentioned an altar before in the Revelation. And suddenly we discover that this vision of God's throne room is actually the altar at the altar of the heavenly temple. Now 
Lean in with me for a second here. If the altar is the throne of the lamb slain, then the lamb of God in the center is there surrounded by living creatures, the four living creatures, and then the 24 elders. This is the picture he's painting for us. Where are the people of God in that picture? Where are they waiting for justice to be done? They're not just waiting on the Lord. They're waiting in the Lord. He's got them covered. He's got them sheltered. He's got them surrounded. He's got them secure. They're waiting in the Lord. They are abiding in Christ. Now remember, these are symbols. But what are the symbols showing us? That that's the best place for us to wait as well. Under the altar of the Lamb, surrounded by his will, revealed through his word and his people. Now part of that, part of waiting in the Lord means trusting God to settle the score. Here's what Paul said, Romans 12, 19. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Peter says something similar. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil for evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this, you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Now that may sound upside down, right? But we're speaking about living the beatitudes of Jesus here. Even in a season of lawlessness, don't take the law into your own hands. Paul says, Peter says, better to trust God and turn the other cheek than to return evil for evil. Let God teach you the deep healing truths of forgiveness as you trust him. In case you're wondering, well, that sounds weird. What's in it for me? Here's what's in it for you. Deep healing. Healing. For the heart, healing for your life, deep healing through the forgiveness of God as you trust him. Instead of yielding to an attitude of, you hurt me, so now you're going to pay. We trust God, we follow Christ, we yield to his Holy Spirit, and then we pursue justice, not vengeance, and we love mercy, not getting even, and uh, instead of taking a pound of flesh, believers take the hit. Who does that sound like? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Wait in the Lord, abide in Christ, sheltered, surrounded, secure in him, and then what do we do? We wage war Jesus' way. Would you say that out loud with me? Wage war Jesus' way. How, how does he do that? Well, here's what Jesus said. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. We embrace the cross. We, uh, we let him lead our way forward. This is living in the tension that Paul declared in his letter to 2 Corinthians. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. The lamb who experiences the lion this is following our lion who is the lamb and then learning that there is spiritual power in the paradox. Now, 
If you haven't noticed, our faith is a bloody faith. Our Lord and Savior took a cup of wine on a very special night and said, this cup is my blood in the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sin. This cup isn't about revenge. This cup is about forgiveness. Jesus. Paul says, Ephesians 1, 7, in Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin. With his forgiving blood, God has purchased our salvation, bought our freedom. His blood releases us not only from the penalty of sin, but from resentment, anger, bitterness, fear, shame, guilt. There's power in the blood. Now I know, it doesn't sound too sophisticated, right? Let me tell you what else it doesn't sound. Domesticated. God is way past tame at the cross. Our God says to a world that is bleeding, I will not let you bleed alone. I will bleed with you. I will bleed for you. My blood will meet you in death and cover you with forgiveness and free you from guilt and offer you new life and secure you in eternity. If you will trust me, This is the gospel by which we overcome. How do believers overcome? In Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. Do you know this verse? They overcame by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. They were embracing the cross. They took Jesus' story as their own story, and Jesus was there for them in overcoming victory. If you're ever called upon to face a red horse, don't be afraid. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 10, 28. The horseman released means that God is letting us have the world we have chosen. It's like he's saying, you made your bed, now sleep in it. Face the music, pay the piper. But be sure your sin will find you out. Numbers 32, 23. But it's like God goes on and says, but when it does, know that I will not let you go easily. I, I will not let you go easy. I will bleed all over the world before I let that happen. Paul says, the weapons we fight with Warrior believers are not the weapons of the world. Man, did he get that right? 2 Corinthians 10, 4, but they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We overcome pretensions, idolatries, lies, deceits, 
through obedience to Christ. How do we do that? Well, we watch and pray, we wait in the Lord, and we wage war Jesus' way by denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him every day. May God find pleasure in opening our eyes and our ears to an understanding that takes us, that takes you into a deeper place of security in Christ as we make our prayer in his name. Would you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we worship you as our lamb slain, whose blood has power beyond description, power beyond words, power to change lives, power to forgive sin, power to overcome every evil that has ever been unleashed and ever will be unleashed on the world that you so love. Thank you for loving us so. And I'm praying for every person, every woman, every man, every young person, every boy and girl, everyone that you know and so love, that they will hear your voice beyond mine since your spirit speaking to them about the next step they take, how they can watch and pray. Is that your step today? Would you open your eyes wider? Say, Lord, open my eyes wider to what you would have me see, what you would have me do, how you would have me be of help to helping somebody find a safe place. And then wait in the Lord. Maybe you're waiting right now. Would you abide in Christ and know that he's got you sheltered, he's got you surrounded, he's got you secure? Lord Jesus, thank you that you are above me, under me, around me, within me, that I am covered in you. Even as I pray, how long, Lord? How long? But thank you that you said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If that's yours today, hold on to that, sister. Hold on to that, brother. And then finally, wage war Jesus' way. Maybe God is calling you to strengthen those weak knees, to stand up straighter, and not to fear the cross, but to embrace it well, as he already showed us, to take the hit, to extend forgiveness, to welcome the healing presence of God into your heart, even as you pursue justice and love mercy. And friend, if today you're checking us out, but something has stirred in your heart, and you know this is the day of salvation for you, you may not know it, but right now something is saying you need to pray. Well, here's a prayer that will on-ramp you into this amazing journey of life transformation. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I need you. Forgive my sins. I believe you were on the cross for me, that you rose from the dead for me. Fill my life now as I receive the gift of salvation by grace through faith. I welcome you into my life as I turn from my way and learn to go your way. Have your way in me. In your name I pray, amen.